Everybody ready for some, some word here today? Let's just go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And let's re- begin over here. This is the text or foundation for this series that we've been in. Now, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 6. Paul writes here, For I am ready to already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing." All right, and so today, again, like I said, we're continuing this series called Completing Your Course, all right? Paul said in here, concerning his life, he said, I have finished the race. Some translations use that word course in that regard. I'm confident that there is a desire in the vast majority of us, if not all of us here today, to to do something of significance with our lives. We don't want to be insignificant. We don't want to have uh, no impact on others, on life, on on eternity. Uh, We want to be important in life and in the kingdom of God. And thankfully, God has designed a course for each of us. None of us have an insignificant course that He laid out for us. All of us, God has something very special in mind, a place to, to fulfill, a purpose to accomplish in life. And for our, our side, well, we just we need to discover that. We need to be committed to it. We need to have a desire for it. And, and we need to walk it out and fulfill it. Paul said he finished his race. Well, obviously not everyone was finishing their race. Otherwise, you don't even say that. You know, you just say, oh, well, they died, so they finished their race. But the reality is, is a person can die. A person can complete their life, but not complete their course. And we want to make sure that that's not the case in our own lives. Everybody ready for this today? All right. Let me review real quick this one point. I was sharing with you uh, just kind of a strong thought, but I asked you the question, what if everyone in the church did as you do? The church here locally or the church, you know, around the world? What if everyone did just like you do? If they worshiped like you do, if they gave like you do, if they served like you do, they were as nice and as friendly as you are, uh, would the church be better? Would it be a better place or would it dry up quick? <laughs> you know, would, would it be the most exciting place in the world or would it not? And, uh, and some of those introspective questions can help us to recognize if, if we're really on course or maybe we never started or maybe we've gotten off course some at some place in the middle of our lives. And, and I'm confident of this. Even if we've gotten off course, you know, God's merciful and He's able to restore. He's able to bring back. He's, he's able to, uh, you know, to help us to revive those gifts that were once in operation. I tell you what, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, uh, there's an opportunity in God. If, if your heart's still beating, you can still get back on track if you've gotten off. And good things are in store for us. You know, you think about the, the course that God lays out for us. It's, it's really to our benefit. I mean, it's God's plan. It's His idea. But you know, when I'm in the right place, I'm fulfilled. I feel good about my life. I, you know, when I'm in the right place, I, ha- I do have a life of significance. Also, when I complete my course at the end of doing this, 
I get rewarded. I mean, how much more could we ask for? I could be unfulfilled, miserable and unhappy and get no reward at the end. Or I could seek God, I could fulfill my course, benefit from it personally in this life, and when I'm done, God says, good job, now here you go, and he rewards me again. That's almost unfair. Almost sounds like uh, grace. (laughs) It's definitely more than we deserve. But the thought that I just want to do my own thing or follow my own course in life is not very intelligent. I'll end up unfulfilled and unrewarded and my life will lack significance. But if I'll do it God's way, God's timing, God's plan, I tell you what, good things are going to happen all around. Let's look at 1 Corinthians, the, the ninth chapter. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. We kind of finished in this area the last time we spoke about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 Because Paul had a real interesting thing to say concerning himself. And I look at it and I say, well, that's true about you. I guess that's got to be true about me. Because he was mightily used of God, wrote, you know, a good portion of the New Testament, had revelation, had visions, been to heaven and back. I mean, just tremendously used of God. Yet he said about himself in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he said, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others... I myself should become disqualified. So he recognized the potential that in his own life he could disqualify himself from the place that he had in God's kingdom. I'm not talking about salvation here, but I'm talking about his place of service, talking about his usefulness to God, talking about his ability to make his life in such a way that no one would ever listen to him again. Okay, he realized that his flesh was just like your flesh and just like my flesh, that if we don't keep it under control, it'll lead us to places we don't want to go. It'll, it'll, te- it'll lead us to do things that we'll wish we hadn't done. And the end result was we're not being rejected by God or separated from his love. But I tell you what, people won't have anything to do with you because you say, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a that. But yet the character, the integrity, those things are lacking. You'll disqualify yourself from service. Everybody with me today? And so if he recognized that that was the case with him, that is also the case with us. We've got to watch uh, to make sure that we don't get bumped off of our course because of a lack of these areas. You know, he, he talked about the athlete, how the athlete must play by the rules. He used that illustration in Second uh, Timothy 2.5. He, he, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, And also if anyone competes in athletics... He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, I know some have a little bit of trouble with that, but this is is Bible here. Could it be possible that there are rules for your life? That there are rules that are to govern your conduct? That are to govern the way that you live? I use the word rules instead of laws because that might freak too many people out. (laughs) You know, because we understand the grace of God, we're not under the law of Moses and, 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 and those type of things. Uh, but there are rules that we must follow, and if we don't, what happens? We disqualify ourselves in the minds of other people from position, from place, and from usability by God. Some have gotten into error thinking that there can be no rules or no governing principles uh, concerning our lives because, hey, I'm a New Testament believer. I live in the age of grace. All my sins are forgiven. Grace covers everything. There are no no rules. I can do anything. Well, that wasn't true with, with Paul. 
In fact, look at the 10th chapter. You're right there in, in 9, the 10th chapter in the 23rd verse. Chapter 10, verse 23. He writes here, he said, all things are lawful for me. Now, why would they all be lawful? Because he's not under the law. All things are lawful for me. He said, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And so what he had in his mind was not what he could get away with, not what, not just the freedom of what he had in Christ, but also he recognized that what I do is going to impact somebody else. He said, not everything helps. I can do anything I want, but some things are just dumb. Some things are just foolish. Some things are not going to help me. They're not going to help anyone. So I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. Not because I'm going to be rejected by God as a result of it, because it's just dumb. Another place he used this same language. He said, I will not be brought under the power of anything. In other words, say, I'm not going to submit myself to certain activities because I'm free in Christ. See, you can use your freedom in Christ to serve God and do good things, or you can use your freedom in Christ to say, hey, I can get away with anything. You know what I'm talking about? One's right and one's, and, and one's I- incorrect. Verse 24, he went on to say, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. How many know that your course is always going to intersect somebody else's course? What God has given you in your life, the abilities, your time, your resources, everything that God wants to use in your life is to the end result that it impacts somebody else's life. I think we do great uh, disservice to the plan of God and to His intent when we think church is all about us. When we think even salvation is all about us on an individual level. I receive it personally and individually, but then my life is always going to intersect and connect with someone else's life. And when I'm mindful of my actions and how they impact somebody else, then, I'm, then I've got the heart of God. Everybody with me today? Let me know Jesus didn't come for his own self. Yeah. Yeah, I remember years ago uh, teaching leadership principles and stuff. One of, the, one of the main things I used to share with people and leadership context, I said that uh, I would tell him, I use this phrase that I made up, so it might be good, might not be good, but uh, I, I still think it's good. I said the number one way to lead is by example. I said if you want someone else to act a certain way, you do that. You act that way. If you're wanting to lead, to show someone how to be a good Christian, how to walk with God, well, you can't just tell them how to do it. You've got to do it. How do you worship? How do you pray? How do you act? How, what, what, how do you govern your time and your schedule? If you think someone else ought to do it a certain way before you ever tell them to do it, you do it. And if you'll do it consistently, you're already leading. Amen. And how many know all of us are leaders in some regard? We're leading friends, family, business, whatever. Uh, some in, you know, leaders in church and different things, but we're all influencing somebody else's life. And so Paul recognized this, and he could be disqualified. He recognized that some activities, some actions were totally unhelpful, totally unedifying to somebody else. And so he said, I'm just not going to act that way. I'm not going to do that because the kingdom of God matters most. The plan of God matters most. And he got to the end of his life and said, I finished. I completed it. I kept the faith. I fought the fight. I knocked this thing out, and here I am today. And so let's talk a little bit about your value today. Everybody ready for this? (laughs) Your value to the kingdom of God. Let let me clarify what I'm about to say by separating it from uh, another way that this could be communicated. Our personal value should be without question. I know many people feel insecure and unloved and so forth, and 
you know, that's really a different message, but for this little blurb right here, our value is measured in the price paid for us. And I tell you, the price paid for you and for me was the very blood of God's Son. It was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. If you ever think you're unworthy or not, or not worth much, let's say it that way, uh, let that be erased when you realize Jesus gave His very life for you. You are of tremendous value to God. He paid the ultimate and the highest price so He could have a relationship with you so you could be close to Him. All right, that's a personal value. But I kind of want to slip over into this practical value and, and talk a little bit about, uh, about your value to the kingdom of God. Would you be better off in heaven? And what I mean by that is, uh, is not whether you personally would be better off in heaven as an individual, because in, without question, all of us would be. It's like, yeah, beam me up, you know, I'm ready to go, uh, absolutely better off in, the glo- in glory and in the presence of God. But what I'm talking about is, would you be better off, you know, like for everyone else, if you were in heaven? It's a little bit hard to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Would it be better off for the rest of the body of Christ if you would just giddy up? Now, 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 now why would that be the case? Why would, why would that thought even be there? I mean, just consider it. Is it potentially possible that some people are just taking up space? I mean, I don't mean, I'm not talking about their personal value, that they're not loved, we love them, God loves them more than we love them, and, you know, have a place in God's eternal kingdom, but I'm talking about here and right now. Would it be better off if you just kind of go? Or are you valuable, necessary, a critical component in what God is doing here right now? Because if you are, and I submit this to you, that every one of us can be and ought to be. But if you are, then we don't want you to go. We don't want, not now. I mean, for personal benefit, yeah, I want you to, but for the good of the whole. And if you are, then the reality is even God himself doesn't want you there yet. Even though he wants you to experience that, it'll come in due time. But now he wants you here. Why would he want you here instead of there? I mean, what purpose? To fulfill a purpose. To complete a course. To have an impact on forever. But could it be possible that some are really just taking up space? Not calling anyone's names. No pictures are going up on the screens. Uh, when the TV shows air and your, your picture comes up like right now, crowd shots, you know that they stick in there. It was by accident. <laughs> uh, would anyone notice if you were gone? Would you leave a hole? If not, it's time to get to work. I know there is a different there is a view that many take 
and it's fostered by our culture. It's, uh, it's kind of the welfare mentality. But people think this way. Man, if I just, if I just disappeared, no one would even notice. You know what the thought is? They're all bad. No one cares for me. No one loves me. No one would even notice if I was gone. Instead of turning that around and saying, why don't I make myself missable? Why don't I do something of such consequence in my life that if I were absent, it would leave a big hole? And everyone would say, where did so-and-so go? Where's this person? Because they helped so much. My life was so enriched because of them. Our, our church, our family, the world was a better place because they were here. They're sure going to be missed. Everybody with me here? See, there's different ways to look at things. But I believe if we are on course... And in the process of completing our course, then we will be a valuable component in what is happening. And if we were absent, we would leave a hole. Something wouldn't get done that should have been done. Some good thing wouldn't happen that should have, that should have happened. Or maybe say it this way, we would be difficult to replace. Go over with me to Acts chapter 9. Anybody nervous today? Breathe out. I am loved by God. (laughs) Acts chapter 9, very interesting story here that took place. That paints a picture of what I'm talking about. In In the 36th verse, it reads, At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, all right? So, Tabitha, Dorcas, either one. This woman, this woman was full of good works. She was what? Full, she, had a, she did a couple good things now and then? No. Occasionally, she volunteered to help out once in a while and do something good and smiled at a few, fee, few folks. And no. Now, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. So this is painting us a picture of the character of this woman. Not talking about necessarily she was full of faith. I'm sure she was. That's good works come out of full of faith. But she was full of good works. She did a lot of stuff that people enjoyed, that people benefited from. Verse 37. But it happened in those days... That she became sick and died. Well, bummer, huh? Now, let me, let, me, let me side note this for a moment. How many know being a person that does good works and charitable deeds has absolutely nothing to do with whether you are healed of a disease, healed of a sickness? You know, there's confusion in some areas in the body of Christ this way. They say, I don't understand so-and-so. They were such a good person. They were such a good Christian. They were so committed. They were a giver. They did. They name all the good things they did. I don't understand why they weren't healed. 
Those things are totally unrelated. Totally unrelated. There are a lot of really good people, did a lot of good things, that went to heaven too soon. Too soon. Say, what do you mean? Our healing is based upon the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, not how good we are. The moment we start associating, am I've done a good thing? Have I given enough? Have I served enough? Have I done all these things? Okay, I think I'm ready to be prayed for for my healing. I'm not praying for you. I'm going to stay 100 miles away from that one. You know what I'm talking about? Our healing is based upon nothing except for the grace of God shown in Jesus on the cross. All right? The fact that this woman did a lot of good things and was a wonderful Christian and, and blessed many people didn't have anything to do with whether she got healed or not. I tell you what, though, it did have something to do with something else. Let's continue reading. If I can find it. 37. But it happened in those days. She already died. Okay. She became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. You know, nowadays we, she's at the morgue or something. And, and since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. In other words, some of her charitable deeds and some of the things that she did, it was making stuff. And they said, here's her stuff. We're never going to get any more of this stuff again. Her stuff is here. We love Dorcas, Tabitha. And, uh, and she's dead. And they were sad. They weren't saying, well, let me just finish reading. Uh, but not, notice she made these, but obviously she didn't make them for, them for herself. You can see she made these for others. She was such a blessing to people. But Peter put them all, put them all out. That's because of their unbelief, by the way. And knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and so forth. So, end of the story, what happened here? She died, and she was raised from the dead, and she's back. Now, I want you to consider this. We've got all the details about this woman. Did we really need them? I mean, did we really know that she was a good person? She did a lot of good stuff? Because we know for certain her healing wasn't based upon that, or she never would have died. Right? But what we do see is the things that she did, the contributions she made, it impacted everyone around her to such a degree that when she got sick and died, everyone said, oh no, (laughs) this is not going to stand. Is there anyone around here who we know has a connection with God, has the faith to believe for this? We're going to change this situation. And they got a hold of Peter. Remember, Peter walked on water. Peter was the man. They said, Peter can do this. Let's get Peter. That's a whole other story. They say, shouldn't they have done it themselves? Well, they knew Peter had the goods. Okay? They got Peter in there, and she got raised up from the dead. Now, I want you to think about it for a moment. Most of the time, I think when someone passes away early like this, too soon, you know, people just, well... 
you know, we're going to miss them. And, uh, or we, we sure love them and we'll see them in heaven. Let me, say, let me say it a different way. If you were to suddenly die, this is hard to say. <laughs> if you were to suddenly die, would everyone say, well, call the funeral home? Or would they say, no way. We I mean, I'm, ta- I'm not just those who are immediate, like your close family. Hopefully they like you and stuff. But let's say the body of Christ. Would they go, ah, no, let's get in here and raise this person back up. Or they say, oh, well, you know, see him in heaven. She lived in such a way where, because she wasn't the only one dying. People are dying all the time throughout history. She lived in such a way where if she passed away and like stayed dead, she would have left a major gap in the local body of Christ there. Everyone would have, would have recognized the hole she left, the absence of her uh, presence being gone. And so they said, no. I just wonder if anyone would raise me up. <laughs> I, I wonder, with, would anyone raise you up? You know what I'm talking about here? See, there's one thing. It's one thing to have a significant place in the heart of God. We all do. We always will. He loves us. It's another thing to be used by Him and to be so useful that people around you are not going to put up with your absence. And we can be the kind of person that says, well, they don't even miss me. Well, of course, you didn't do anything. Didn't even know you were there. Never contributed anything that anyone would ever know about. But how many know that's up to us? That's up to us whether we're just going to be on our own little island unto ourselves and, well, I don't really like people and, you know, and I'm busy and uh, fine, fine. That's between you and the Lord, no condemnation. But if you die, see ya. I know that sounds kind of hard. It's a little bit hard for me to say. How, how many know the scriptures not only talk about sins of commission, but there's also a reference to sins of omission? James 4.17 speaks of that. In other words, my life is not just about, you know, Jesus saved me and I'm empowered to stop doing certain things I used to do. And thank God we are empowered to live right for God. But we're also empowered to do something for God. In other words, the absence of idleness of not doing something. His grace is on you to perform, to do great things for His kingdom, to touch other people's lives. And the absence of doing anything, doing something good, could legitimately be called sin. So I didn't do anything wrong. You did nothing. And that's wrong. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy about uh, widows in their day and, and given instructions for what they should do and how to help them. He said, you've got to watch out because some of these, if they don't get married again or if they don't do, do something, he said that what happens is they, they learn to be idle and they turn into busybodies. And he said they go about uh, talking about things and gossiping and talking about things that they shouldn't talk about. Uh, how many know we should also be highly on guard for idleness in our own lives. 
I don't want to be a person who is idle, does nothing. You've heard the, the saying that the, the idle mind is the devil's workshop. Yeah, put your mind to something. Put your hand to something. Put your abils and abilities and skills uh, to something. Something useful. God will lead you if you'll ask Him. If you'll seek Him, you'll find Him. He'll show you exactly what to do. It'll be fulfilling to you. You'll play a significant role and you'll get rewarded in the end. It's really a good deal. But to sit on the sidelines and watch is really not God's plan. It's really not what He has in mind for us. And it really doesn't help anyone or anything. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and we'll finish up over here today. Revelation, the third chapter. You know, in the book of Revelation, John had this, you know, the Apostle John had this revelation and Jesus talked to him about a lot of end time events, but also he was addressing different churches that were in existence during their day, had different messages for different churches. In the third chapter here, I want to pick up in the 15th verse, uh, Jesus speaking here, that's why it's in red, uh, Jesus speaking here, he said, I know your works, talking about this church. Now, Now notice for a moment, he didn't say, I know your faith. He said, I know what you're doing. I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know what you're not doing. He said, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That doesn't sound fun at all. Now, I want you to, I want you to get a picture of what's happening here. I know there's been a lot of commentary and a lot of different opinion about what cold and hot means. And, you know, some have said that... Well, you know, God wants you to be hot for Him or just go to hell. I have a hard time with that kind of uh, description of this. That it's like, you're either all in or you're going to hell. Uh, I think the Lord even wants nominal Christians to be saved. Even though that's not His plan. But that's that's a side note. Let me give you a little history here. This was written to the church at Laodicea, which you can see right in the Scripture here. Now, the geography there goes like this. Eleven miles to the east of Laodicea was Colossae. Okay? Colossae was sitting at the base of a large mountain called Padmas. It it, it has snow on it much of the year. And as snow melted, there was fresh cold water coming down to the people in Colossae, in addition to some cold uh, water springs that they had. All right? Now... uh, Laodicea didn't have its own water, to, own water supply. It was wealthy and famous for medicine, but they had to pipe the water in from six miles away. Now, I didn't give you the other, the other city. Six miles to the north was a city called Heropolis, and they were famous for their hot mineral springs. Okay, so we got cold water, and we got hot water, and we got... Uh, Laodicea in the middle, they're piping their water in. By the time they get their water, what happens? Well, it's lukewarm. It's lukewarm water. It was good for nothing. Uh, It it was terrible to drink. It made them nauseous. That just is the imagery that they had and they all knew. All the people that lived there knew this. Cold water, hot water. We don't have our own water. Time it gets to us, lukewarm water. And then Jesus comes in speaking about this and using this graphic illustration. Says, you're not, you're not hot and you're not cold. You're lukewarm. And they went, ugh. Huh? But what, what, what's interesting here is 
Jesus isn't really talking to them about being hot for God or cold for God. He's really talking to them about being useful to God. There's a good purpose for hot water and a good purpose for cold water. The lukewarm water just kind of made, ah. Jesus said, and I'm, and what does that mean? Unuseful. I don't want to drink it. I don't want to sit in it. <laughs> I want to spit it out. And their usefulness to God was what was being revealed here. See, Jesus preceded this, this illustration by saying what? I know your works. I know what you're doing, what you're not doing. He said, I want to use you. I want you to become useful in my hand, useful for my kingdom, something that will make a difference in this world, in lives around you, and for eternity. But right now, ah, ah, lukewarm. He wanted them to become useful. Now, this is interesting to me. If you go down a few verses in verse 20, you know, Jesus said, uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What's going on there? You know, these people weren't really useful at this present time. Do you see the love of God, the love of the Savior? He's still saying, man, it's like I'm on the outside, but I still want to come in. Even to these lukewarm Christians, he's still saying, I still want to come in and have a relationship with you. I still want to be close to you. I still want to energize you and impact you to such a degree that you'll become useful in my hand again. And no matter where someone is today, like I said earlier on in the message, no matter where you are today, I believe the Lord, you know, He's either on the inside fellowshipping with you all the time, using you, or He's trying to. He's seeking you out. He's banging on the door and saying, let's go, let's go uh, eat together. Let's spend some time and let's do something, something important in life. That's the heart of God. He still wanted to be with them. He still wants to be with us. But I tell you what, there is a course for each of our lives. It's designed by God. It's a wonderful course. Yeah, there's going to be some hiccups along the way, but he tells us where they're at so we can overcome, we can avoid, we can have victory all along the way. But the end result is we say, I finished. I did what I was supposed to do. I completed my course. And now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me on your feet today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now maybe this, maybe this has stirred your heart in some way to, to fellowship with God. I, I pray that it has. To commune with Him. He loves you so much and wants to bring us all into a place where He can use us tremendously. As we take our time right now to worship Him, let the Spirit of God minister to you on the inside. His plan is the right plan for you. I'll be back in a few minutes.